Uh, please turn with me to Genesis 22. We're going to be looking at Genesis 22 this evening. All right, let's pray together. Father, we do thank you for your faithfulness in our lives, that you never leave us or forsake us, that you're our good shepherd, that your rod and your staff comfort us, that you've been with us every day throughout this last year. And as we pause and reflect and look forward to a new year and eventually to your coming, Lord, would you just awaken us to your love? Would you awaken us to the reality that that you love us? May we respond by loving you with everything that we have. We thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. There's nothing more powerful than love. You can probably think about different times in your life when love has really moved you. And what God really desires from us is that we would respond to his love. So tonight I pray for all of us that we would be reminded, that we would be awakened by God's love for us, and then we would respond by giving our love to God. When we think of time in history past when there's really been spiritual revival, when there's been great awakening, there's a deep understanding of God's love. God's people are moved with the reality that they personally are loved by God. There's a poem that was written during the Great Awakening that I really like that talks about God touching people with his love. Let me read it to you. It says, One man wakes, awakens another. Second one wakes his next door brother. Three awake can rouse a town and turn the whole place upside down. Many awake will cause such a fuss. It finally awakes all of us. One man wakes with dawn in his eyes. Surely then it multiplies. Surely then it multiplies. One of the things I've been praying for for our church throughout 2019 is epinosis. And you might be saying, well, what's epinosis? It's really knowledge by experience. It's that knowledge of the Lord that comes through experience. And Paul often prayed this for the churches that he served, that the churches would have a greater knowledge of who Jesus is. In the book of Ephesians, at the end of chapter 3, Paul prays that the church would know the height and the depth and the width of God's love. Now, the church of Ephesus is doing well. They're believers, their disciples are following the Lord. And at first glance, you're going, why would Paul pray that they would know the love of God. They already know the love of God. But Paul realizes there's even more for them to know about the love of God. He prays that they would know the love of God, which passes knowledge. And for us as well, I think many of us have an understanding that God loves us. That's not new to us tonight, that God loves us. But hopefully this evening as we're studying the scriptures and As we walk with the Lord in 2020, God's taking us deeper into the understanding of his love for us. And then as we look at our culture, as we look at our city, as we look at this dark spiritual environment that we live in, with a lot of people not caring about the things of God, their lives are ripe to be wrecked with the love of God. Or better worded, their lives are ripe to be redeemed by the love of God. To have the love of God come in and give them a purpose, give them a reason for living, giving them a reason to get up in the morning. Abraham, to me, this story in Genesis 22, where he is 
called by God to offer up his son Isaac, it shows us the love of God. It shows us that it's always been in God's heart and his plan and his purpose to give us his son. That Isaac, the only son, is a picture of Jesus who will be sacrificed for our sins. But also in Abraham, we find someone who is responding to the love of God. So God's love is displayed, but Abraham is responding to God's love. In this section of scripture, it's the first time the word love is used in the Bible. First time it's recorded in all of scripture. God uses this love between a father and a son to show us his love. He gives us Abraham as an example of a man who loved God. Also, it's the first time worship is ever used in the scripture. There's a a Bible term. It's called the principle of first mention. When a word's used for the first time in scripture, it unlocks the, the meaning for us. So hopefully tonight we'll see the love of God and also respond to the love of God. So let's look in verse one of chapter 22. Now it came to pass after these things that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. God tests Abraham. God already knows what's in Abraham's heart. So why a test? Because Abraham needed to know what was in his heart. A good teacher probably knows about where their students are on a particular subject. But what's the purpose of the test? So that seventh grader, that ninth grader, that college student at the university can understand how well they know the information. Did you ever feel like going into a test, you're like, I I got this down. And the test revealed otherwise. And there's other times where you're like, I'm going to fail this. There's no way I'm going to pass this. And all of a sudden you find yourself doing better than you would expect. And God is a loving father. He tests us to reveal where our heart is. We think our heart is in a certain place, but then God in his love will say, well, let me put you through this difficulty. Let me challenge you with this obedience. And it really does reveal the condition of our hearts. Maybe we feel like we are trusting God. If someone were to ask us, hey, do you trust God? Yeah, yeah, I trust God. We go through a trial or difficulty and we find out, man, I wasn't trusting God quite the way that I thought that I was. So Abraham gets tested by the Lord. What's the test going to be? The test is if Abraham loves God more than his promised son, Isaac. He's waited. His wife's been barren, waited, waited, finally gets this child, the son in his old age, and God is going to ask him to surrender his son to the Lord. Verse 2, then he said, take now your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love. There it is, the word love, first time in the scriptures. Take your son, your only son Isaac. Now, you student of the scriptures, you might go, wait a second, doesn't Abraham have a son named Ishmael? He does through Hagar, but God doesn't recognize Ishmael as the promised son. In God's eyes, Isaac is the only son. The wording, the verbiage is so important because this points to the way the father speaks of Jesus. My only begotten son, my beloved son. When we hear the voice of the father from heaven, two times in the gospels, saying this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Isaac is gonna surrender 
his life on the altar. Abraham is going to put his son Isaac on the altar. This points to our heavenly father giving us his only son. This points to Jesus willingly laying down his life upon the cross for us. God gives us a picture and experience and an example of love in the parent-child relationship. Now granted, it's fallen, it's broken. Every parent is a sinner. Every child is, is a sinner. But even in our sinful state, there's a powerful bond between a parent and a child. And this points to the Heavenly Father and His love for His Son and His willingness to give His Son to go to the cross for us. So He says, take your son, your only son whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering as one of the, on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. The land of Moriah is the mountain range that runs through Jerusalem. God says to Abraham, I want you to take your son and travel to the land of Moriah till you get to a specific point, a specific place. Then I'm going to ask you to sacrifice your son. This had to have been a shock for Abraham when he hears God speak to him. He was probably hoping for some encouragement. This is the last time in the book of Genesis that we see God revealing himself to Abraham. Abraham is titled as the friend of God. God gives him that title. You're you're my friend. Abraham was willing to risk everything to leave to go to a place that God would show him when he was much younger He continued to believe in God's promise that God would give him a child, even though it was physically impossible. This is the time in Abraham's life where it should be cruise control. (laughs) This is the time where Abraham should be enjoying. He's got the promised son in the promised land, but now God's saying, I want you to surrender everything. I want you to sacrifice your son for me upon the altar. In God's amazing love for us, in the gift of his son, what he's desiring from us is surrender. To choose to love him back. We get to choose what we do with our love. We're going to love something. We're going to love someone. And not to try to earn or deserve acceptance or earn or deserve salvation, but in response to salvation, and in response to the only begotten who is sacrificed for us, for us to be able to say, God, it's all yours. I'm completely surrendered to you. And God will test that. God will knock upon that door and say, say, really? Is everything on the altar? Have you taken what is most valuable to you and placed it upon the altar? If we're honest, this is a battle. This type of surrender, sometimes we're surrendered in this way, but other times we're guarding what we love. We're saying, no, Lord, you can't have this. I'm not willing to surrender this desire to you. I'm not willing to put Isaac in in your hands. But this is what God is asking of, of Abraham, to surrender it all to him. In verse five, so Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey. To me, this is so powerful. If I'm Abraham, I'm delaying this for a little while. 
I need some confirmation. This is radical instruction. Sacrifice your only son, Isaac. Abraham, in his wisdom, he doesn't wait. It's immediate obedience. If we delay our obedience, a lot of times we talk ourselves out of it. Is there something that God was calling you to do January 1, 2019? And now it's almost January 1, 2020, and we haven't done it. We intended to do it, but we delayed and we wrestled and we held on, delayed, wrestled, held on, and now all of a sudden it's a year later. There may be something that God has called you to do five years ago, 15 years ago. And we knew we were at that point of obedience or disobedience. It's never too late to choose obedience. But immediate obedience is so important. To God, you spoke. You spoke to me through your word. So I'm getting up. I'm going to obey right away to the thing that you have placed upon my heart. And took two of his young men with him and Isaac his son, and he split the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him, Mount Moriah. They take the wood, but there's no sacrifice. Jesus would carry the wood of the cross to Mount Calvary to this same Mount Moriah. The temple eventually would be built on Mount Moriah. Calvary on Mount Moriah. So they've got the wood, but there's no sacrifice. Then on the third day, Abraham lifted his eyes and saw the place afar off. Is there any coincidences in scripture? What's the significance of the third day? Christ rose from the dead on the third day. Abraham sets out, and now it's the third day, and it's the place that the Lord shows him that this is where he's to sacrifice his son. This has to be a really long three days for Abraham. He knows what he's going to have to do to kill his son. Probably a, a quiet walk for him as he's wrestling with these things. And Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey, the lad, and I will go yonder and worship, and we will come back to you. Tells the servant, stay here. My son and I, we're going to go we're going to worship and we're going to come back to you. Well, wait a second. He's being called by God to kill his son. Abraham believed that if he did kill his son, that God would raise him from the dead because this was the promised child. Hebrews tells us this. In Hebrews 11, verse 17, it says, By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. He whom he received the promise offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said, In Isaac your seed shall be called, concluding that God was able to raise him up, even from the dead, from which also received him in a figurative sense. So Abraham is convinced that God can raise his son from the dead because Isaac is the promised child, the one in whom the seed would cause all of the nations to be blessed to have descendants as the stars in the sky. What's so impressive about Abraham is he believed God's word. When God spoke, he believed. So when God said, you're going to have a promised son, okay, I believe you. Even if 
I'm too old to have children. My wife is, is barren. You told me to sacrifice my son. I know that this is the promised son, so you must be able to raise him from the dead. What makes Abraham really stand off the pages of Scripture is his faith. He trusted the Word of God. It wasn't always his performance. He had flaws. He fell short. But he trusted the Word of God. So the story begins to build. So Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took the fire in his hand and a knife, and the two of them went together. But Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and said, My father... And he said, here I am, my son. Then he said, look, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Isaac starts to do the math. He's like, wait a second here. We got the wood, we got the fire, we got the knife, but we don't have a lamb. And we're out here in the middle of nowhere on this mountain. What in the world is going on here. He asked the question. And Abraham said, My son, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering. So the two of them went together. Abraham may not even have fully realized how he is prophesying of Jesus. God will provide himself the lamb. God himself will be the lamb that's going to be the sacrifice for our sins. John the Baptist, in seeing Jesus declared, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. We see throughout the Old Testament this unfolding message of a lamb being sacrificed for sin. Could only cover sin, but Jesus takes away sin. God's going to provide himself as the lamb to cause us to have forgiveness. Then they came to the place of which Abraham told him, and Abraham built an altar there and placed the wood in order, and he bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar upon the wood. We don't know for sure the exact age of Isaac, but Isaac is probably not six or seven years old. He's probably at minimum a, a teenager. Abraham is an old man, didn't become the father of Isaac until he's a hundred years old. No doubt Isaac could take Abraham at this point. Even if he was seven years old, he could probably just trip dad and it would be over, right? Just run circles around dad, especially as a, a teenager, 16, 17, 18 years old. And, and there's surrender that's involved in Isaac. He is willing to be the sacrifice. He's willing to trust his dad and say, okay, I'll allow you to tie me to, to the altar, and God could force us to surrender to him. God could force us to, to love him. But we get to choose. And Romans 12 tells us that we're besieged by the mercies of God to present ourselves as a living sacrifice unto God. Just like Isaac to say, God, I'm putting myself upon the altar. You're so good to me. You've given me your son. You've accepted me. You've forgiven me of my sins. So I'm choosing to love you and I'm placing myself upon the altar, just, just like Isaac. So Isaac surrenders. Worship involves surrender. Abraham and Isaac are both going up to Mount Moriah to worship. And Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. Man, can you picture it? Probably tears coming down 
Abraham's face, but Abraham passed the test. God asked him to do this to see if he loved God more than his son. And he was willing to put his son upon the altar. What's the test saying in our lives? What are the tests saying from 2019 in regards to our surrender to the Lord? Is it one of, oh, yeah, you trust me. It's all on the altar. It's all, all surrendered. Or does it reveal some other information? Oh, I'm not quite so surrendered. This is an area of my life where I thought I was trusting, but I'm not trusting. And so here's Abraham. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. So he said, here am I. And he said, do not lay your hand on the lad or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God since you've not withheld your son, your only son, from me. It shouldn't have to be said, but it needs to be said in our culture, in our society, is God's not going to ask you to kill your children. Some people that are really messed up in the head have come up with an idea that God wants them to kill their children. And they kill their kids, and then they kill themselves, and they document that God was the one who told them to, to do this. God stopped Abraham. You know, God says, no, I don't want you to do this. This was a test. You, you passed the test. So don't twist this in some psycho state to think that God would ever want you to do that uh, to your children or to anyone. Here's the heart of it for Abraham. God says, I know that you fear me. I know that you worship me. I know that you surrender to me. The, the fear of God is one where we respect him. Or you're God, I'm, I'm not. I may not understand this, but I'm willing to surrender. I'm willing to walk in faith. And the fear of God is so valuable in our lives. Without the fear of God, nothing can be in its proper place. Our relationship with God, our relationship with others, our, even our relationship with our own self. And here Abraham, he fears God and he's not withholding his son from the Lord. In verse 13, then Abraham lifted his eyes and looked, and there behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by its horns. So Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up for a burnt offering instead of his son. And Abraham called the name of the place the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, in the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. Oh, this was good news right here. Here's a, a ram caught in the thicket, able to provide the sacrifice. What did Abraham say? The Lord will provide a lamb. And here, this is a ram. God provided a ram because the lamb was ultimately Jesus. The ram was this temporary sacrifice, but Jesus was the permanent sacrifice. What Abraham understands about God on Mount Moriah is that the Lord will provide. So Mount Moriah is this mountain range leading into Jerusalem, the temple eventually built on Mount Moriah, Calvary being on Mount Moriah. It's not a coincidence that Abraham says, this place, I understood that the Lord will provide. 
It's the Mount of Calvary where Jesus died for our our sins upon the cross where we have this confidence and assurance, God, you're the one who provides. You're the one who's provided my greatest need and that is forgiveness of sins. Isn't it wonderful that God has provided the forgiveness of sins through the sacrifice of Christ? He provides. He provides the forgiveness of sins, but he's also faithful to provide our needs. And we reflect back on 2019, we see how God has faithfully provided for us. So here's Abraham and his son worshiping the Lord together at his provision. Then the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time out of heaven and said, by myself I have sworn, says the Lord, because you have done this thing and have not withheld your son, your only son, blessing I will bless you and multiplying I will multiply your descendants as the stars of heaven and as the sand which is in the seashore and your descendants shall possess the gate of their enemies. In your seed all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. This points all the way to Jesus. This is fulfilled in Jesus. Abraham's seed leading to the birth of Christ, Christ blessing all of the nations of the world. Church, this is what I want you to hear tonight, though, in the verses that I just read, is you can't outgive God. And some of us are really wrestling tonight with surrendering to the Lord. We go, man, if I put Isaac on the altar, I feel like I'm getting the short end of the stick. I feel like I'm getting the bad end of the bargain. (laughs) And here God says to Abraham, because of your surrender, I'm going to bless you. And can you think of a time in your life where you ever regretted obeying God? Where you ever regretted surrendering to God? Please don't misunderstand. This is not some quasi get rich quick scheme. That if you surrender to God, you're never going to have any difficulties and you're going to be a millionaire by 2021, right? But this is speaking of your relationship with God, spiritual blessing, the things that really matter, that are really important in life. When we surrender to the Lord, it's the best place to be. The very best place for you to be is surrender to the Lord. The very best place for the things that you love, the Isaac in your life, is to be on God's altar. Jesus said, if you seek to save your life, you're going to lose it. But if you lose your life for my sake, you'll find it. That's what Abraham did here. He lost his life for God's sake, and he found it. Selfishness, control, holding on to our lives, not choosing to love the Lord, to serve the Lord, to serve others— that's going to lead to death in our lives. Here's a great way to have a really terrible 2020. Try to save your life. Just serve yourself. Put yourself first. It's team you every day. It's going to be a disaster. Life abundant, no matter what the circumstances are, say, God, you're good. I see that you're good because you gave your son for me on the cross. You you love me. So I'm choosing to love you. I'm choosing to surrender to you. I'm choosing to to live for you. And you're never going to regret serving the Lord. You're never going to regret surrendering to the Lord. So verse 19. So Abraham returned to his young men and they arose and went together to Beersheba. And Abraham dwelt at Beersheba. 
This is where we're going to end tonight. The love of God displayed in this picture of Abraham surrendering his only son, Isaac. Our heavenly father surrendering Jesus upon the cross. Jesus willingly going to the cross for us. And I pray that the depth of that, the goodness of that, that Jesus loves you. This I know for the Bible tells me so. Through faith, whether you feel it or not, whether you have the warm fuzzies tonight about the love of God or not, through faith to go, I know that I know that I know God loves me because of the cross of Jesus Christ. And through my faith in the cross of Jesus Christ, I know that I'm forgiven. I know that I'm going home to be with the Lord. I have assurance of the future. I'm holding on to this because of the cross. And as we look and behold the cross of Jesus Christ to then respond and to say, Jesus, I love you. I love you because you first loved me. Do you know that God is after your love? He's after your love. He's not necessarily just after your Bible knowledge. He's not after your church attendance. He's not after your money. He's after your heart. He wants our hearts. He wants us to choose to love him. And again, this is not something that is based on our feelings. Like, oh man, I feel all this inside of me, so I'm choosing to to love God. Sometimes we have the emotions, sometimes we don't, but it's this choice to say, I can do anything with my life. I can do anything with this capacity to be able to love, but I choose to love you. God, I, I choose to respond to your love and not withhold anything from you. I want to truly live my life open-handed. For me this year, one of the many gifts that God gave to me was an opportunity to go back to Applegate, which was the church that God used to really get a hold of my life as a teenager in, in Southern Oregon. I wish the circumstances were better. It was my friend Peter John. He passed away of cancer. He's a year older than me. Has four kids as well. God took him home to be with the Lord. So Amber and I were able to make the trip out there. I hadn't been back to Southern Oregon in years and years. My parents had moved to Portland and then moved to Denver. I've got an aunt and uncle in Southern Oregon. Wasn't a lot of reasons for me to go back uh, to Southern Oregon. I think a few years ago, I, I taught at a church in Medford, Oregon, and it was a quick fly in and fly out. Hadn't been out back to Applegate since I was probably 20 years old. But Applegate was my Bethel, and Bethel goes to another character in the Bible, Jacob. And Jacob met the Lord at Bethel when he was fleeing from his brother Esau, who wanted to, to kill him. And later in Jacob's life, God calls him back to Bethel. And as I was getting on the plane to go back to Applegate and to, to Southern Oregon, I was reading in my devotions, and I was in Genesis. And you can probably guess where I was that morning in my devotions when God called Jacob back to, to, to Bethel. And I knew the message was clear. What God was speaking to me through his word was, Eric, you need to focus on loving me. You need to get back to your first love. And as I was sitting in the, the sanctuary, 
there at, at Applegate, there were so many memories that came back to me. And, you know, there's something about being a teenager and all the experiences that you have as a teen, they really st- stick with you. And this is where I really chose for the first time to love the Lord, was there at that church in that sanctuary. It's the first time that I really cared about God's word. It was the first time that I sang to the Lord. It was the first time I, I got discipled. And a lot of those men that were very instrumental in those things were there in the room. And I'm looking in the room, I'm like, oh yeah, there's Gary Mauser who discipled me. And there's Brett Metter, my, my youth pastor. And the Lord was, was drawing my heart back to this place of saying, Eric, love me. And if I were to try to back up to last January, I felt that I was loving the Lord. But from God's perspective, his message to me was, was Eric, somewhere in the busyness and the responsibility of all the different aspects of what you've got going on in your life, your heart is not loving me the way that it once was, and I just desire for you to love me. And so throughout the rest of this year, that's really been my desire is just to walk in simple love and obedience to the Lord. And it's been really refreshing. And I I don't mean this in any type of way, like I'm feeling called out of pastoring, but I'm okay not pastoring. If the Lord said, Eric, I want you to go be a heating and air conditioning guy, January 2020, be like, God, let's do it. I just want to love you. If that means serving you by helping people getting heat and air conditioning, then, then praise the Lord. Let's, let's do it. You want me to be a pastor? Great, let's do it. That, that, oh, I just want to love you. And the simplicity of that is really freeing. Just to say, the days forward are this, to love Jesus. I know that he loves me. I know that I'm a sinner, and I know that he loves me, and I want to love him. Do I do it perfectly? Absolutely not. But I do desire that to be the testimony of my life, is Jesus loves me, this I know, the Bible tells me so, and I responded to that in loving the Lord. I cannot make this happen in my heart or your heart. But I would pray that the Holy Spirit tonight would awaken your love, awaken your love where you would know that you're loved by the Lord and you would be awakened to the reality of loving him. Love him. Choose to love him. Choose to surrender to him. You're never going to regret it. And if I could pick on you a little bit, all right? If your resume is one of loving Jesus, don't just take cruise control that that's going to be the case for 2020. Don't even necessarily give yourself a grade, a passing grade on loving the Lord for 2019. You may evaluate your heart and go, wow, 2019 was me loving the Lord. We may be surprised if we ask the Lord to search us and know us, he may have a different answer. He might say, I love you, but you've been pretty distracted. (laughs) I love you, but you... You really haven't been loving me like you once did, and I'm drawing you to a deeper love. And then for some, if you're going, you know what? I don't know that I've ever chosen to love the Lord. 
I believe in the Lord. I believe he died for me. I look at creation. I know that God created the universe. I look at the empty tomb. I know that Jesus rose from the dead. I believe that. I look at the scriptures. There's all this fulfilled prophecy. I, be, I believe the scriptures. But I don't know that I've ever chosen to give my love to the Lord. Let me tell you, it's important. It's important to love Jesus. You're going to love something. And if it's anything less than Christ, it's going to leave you disappointed. And look at the cross and look at his love for you and choose it. Choose it for yourself to go, God, you're good. I'm going to love you. I'm going to pursue a relationship with you through your word, through prayer, through being obedient to you. Just keep it simple going, Jesus, I love you. But this to me sums up the message of the Bible, that God loves us and that we get to respond to the love of God by loving him in return. He first loved us, so we love him. And then in the midst of that, in the midst of that understanding that we're loved by God, we get to be agents of his love. We get to take his love to encourage believers. We get to take his love to share it with unbelievers. Wouldn't it be awesome if Christ comes back before it hit 2020? If the rapture happened tonight, wouldn't that be wonderful? Wouldn't it be wonderful if 2020 is when the rapture happens? But how many people that we know, that we love, that even we don't know, aren't ready for Christ's return? right? So until Christ returns, why is he waiting? Why is, why is Jesus tarrying? So more people can know about him, right? And when our hearts get touched by the love of God, to then go, Lord, help me to then be able to love others. Because God wants to pour his love into us so we will love him, and then that is expressed to others. But we don't just take God's love like a warm, fuzzy Christmas blanket that we received that was gifted to us from Target. And go, oh, oh, this is great. I'm, I'm loved by God. Oh, I'm so glad that, that I'm loved by God. No, we take the warmth, the acceptance, the love that we have in Jesus, and we get to share it with other people. We get to love on them and declare the gospel to them. God wants to use our lives going forward in 2020. Until he raptures the church, he's got a plan for us. Until he takes us home, either by death or the rapture, he has a plan for us. So you're loved by God and choose to love him in return. Would you stand with me and let's, let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your love. We thank you that it's steadfast, that it's unconditional, that it's so clear that you gave your son, that Jesus, you surrendered yourself upon the cross. And where we're struggling to believe that you love us, may we see it clear tonight that you really do love us. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the, the Bible tells me so. And God, may we choose to love you in return. We do wrestle with holding on to Isaac by not placing Isaac up upon the altar. And we want to surrender afresh to you. And even as we move into worship tonight, we ask that your spirit would move. That it wouldn't just be a, a way to end a service, but 
a time of drawing near to you. So Lord, we love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.